I'll turn in your Bibles to Romans, Romans, and in the New Testament, chapter 15. We're going to be starting out with verses 5 and 6 of Romans 15, also found on page 922, if you're using the Bibles in the racks in front of you. In case you hadn't noticed, there is a lot of disunity in the United States of America. From sea to shining sea, there is a lot of conflict and division about politics, about culture, often about race, maybe economic classes, a lot of division. It goes without saying that there is a lot of division and conflict that takes place in homes and families. Sadly, there is conflict and division that sometimes damages, hurts the testimony and the impact of a local church. And that's where we want to put our attention today as we continue in our series of life together, looking at the one another statements of the New Testament. Church disunity is obviously a problem, but another way of looking at it is creating church unity is an incredible opportunity because we can show the world something real and authentic about unity that everybody else might talk about, but that we can actually have, in spite of many other differences about the other areas, a true organic unity that we have because of our focus on Jesus Christ. At our uh, church board planning retreat this past weekend, we started out on Friday evening with uh, a time of, of worship. And uh, that, was, that was what we did Friday evening. And uh, it, was, it was so rich to be sharing about attributes of God and then singing worship songs Together And one, one person commented about, in, in gratitude, gratitude for the unity we experience at Open Door Bible Church. It's been a, 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 a great uh, season, a great, a great time of, of seeing God work in us together. Together. So I think, that, I think the message for us really is that we need to make every effort, as Scripture says, to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So Romans 15 and verse 5, and I'll read as well verse 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit of unity among yourselves. Uh, There's a study of the one another statements of Scripture. Uh, in verse 5, depending on the Bible translation you're looking at, you might have among yourselves, you may have each other, or you may have one another. But in the uh, original Greek language, it, this is that, that term that we see some uh, 60 times describing what Christ's plan is for the church one another, one another, this mutual relational uh, connection that we have. 
the other phrases of the passage also uh, will take a little bit of careful word study, partly because our Bible translations do uh, render it a bit differently. And so we're going to do a little bit of uh, word study here at the front just to, to make sure we're, we're on target and looking at the same thing when we talk about unity with one another. Uh, the, besides the term one another, then we have two key phrases. The first one is a term that may be translated in your Bible with words like same mind or harmony or unity. Um, it's, it's the same concept, but if, if we just kind of uh, looked at these separately, uh, the most literal rendering of that would be to be of the same mind or like-minded. We'll come back to this, this key term. It's about our mind, the, the thinking part. The spirit of unity, I have that in my, in my translation. It's an accurate idea, a spirit or mind of unity. Uh, some would have live in harmony. That's another accurate way to say it. I personally would prefer to use the more literal where you're, you're, you're given some freedom to explain what it means without all the conclusions made for you. But really, any of these, uh, I think, is accurate in that sense. The key idea is that our mindset, the way we see things and our purpose, is together. Uh, during the uh, NBA playoffs now, assuming you might be Milwaukee Bucks fans, if you, if you get, go into uh, Pfizer Forum and, and uh, during the playoffs, you will find yourself, hopefully, of the same mind with thousands of other people because you have the same laser focus on winning the game. And so you're going to see various close calls from your perspective. And you will actually find yourself in agreement with some rather strange people around you because you have come there with one very clear, focused purpose and goal, winning this game. I think in a similar way, the kind of unity that uh, Paul is talking about here to the Roman church is that as we would see one another, whether it's here in a church gathering, whether it's someone we, re we, we see in the marketplace, Walmart or whatever, that, that we would instantly understand and acknowledge that we are together in our essential purpose. The, the key is that we have the same what? what? What is it that draws us together? As you, end of verse 5, as you follow Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at that phrase because, again, our translations look at it just a little bit different. You may have in accord with Christ or something like that. As you follow Christ, what I read, or as Christ Jesus had. Again, uh, the most literal might be in accord with Jesus. So it's saying that as that we would have unity with each other about what? Well, really, it's about who? It's about Christ Jesus. Uh, another way of saying it is as you follow Christ. And I really think that is an accurate reflection because it's not just belief, but it is our commitment. And then if you're using the uh, Bibles that, that we provide here, you would have this phrase, that Christ or Christ Jesus had. I think that's actually not quite the idea because uh, it's saying then that we are to have the same attitude towards each other that maybe Christ had towards us. That, by the way, is a very true statement. 
we are to have the same mind as Christ, Philippians 2. I don't think that's what's being said here. It is not so much that we have the same mind as Christ had in relationship, but rather that we would have the same mind of relationship toward each other because of Christ, because of our unity with Christ. So if we have vertical vertical unity with Christ, then we will have this unity with each other in accord with Christ. Uh, Doctrine is crucial. What you believe matters. Because our first layer, our foundational layer of unity, is what you believe about Jesus Christ. Is he the eternal triune son of God? Is he fully God, fully man? That's a basic unity issue. And if so... Is he indeed the only way of salvation? Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. If you believe that, that creates the core unity that we experience in the body of Christ, believing the same things, but probably this is implying more than that. Hence, as I have it here, as you follow Christ, he's, he's, he's putting a, a larger picture together. So belief about Christ, but also commitment to Christ. In other words, you have unity with other believers when your commitment to Christ is the same. You care about pleasing Christ. You take, you take the word of God seriously. And so, so each of you, as you imagine yourself with others in the family of God here, each of you is, is committed to making actual decisions that are, make your life different than others. You, you make a, a family schedule that prioritizes, that will prioritize being here in a service or in a Sunday school, adult Bible fellowship, youth group, and you, you craft your life to be centered around the primacy of Jesus Christ. Your financial life will be affected as you follow Christ because you will take his word seriously and you will prioritize uh, stewardship, generosity, whether it's giving to the church or missionaries or other ministries that are proclaiming the gospel of who? Christ. It will affect your view of entertainment and hobbies because you don't want things to be out of priorities, and you want your entertainment choices even to please Christ. And so can you see how that when you do that, you will actually accomplish the purpose of verse 6. If there is a group of people who are having the same mind towards one another following Christ, then with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and God smiles as he sees the kind of commitment and centrality towards Christ that you have with others. So when two believers both have that mindset, we can begin to instantly enjoy fellowship. We can, we can easily link arms to serve together because of that intrinsic organic unity in knowing and following Christ. So, 
Do believers unified about Christ ever struggle to get along? I wish the answer was no. Do they ever hurt each other? I wish the answer was no. But the answer is yes, because it's sinners, saved sinners who follow Christ. But when, we, when that happens, we find we, because of our unified mind, can address and resolve those things. Turn with me to Philippians, page 951, if you're using those uh, scriptures in front of you there. Philippians chapter 2. There is unity about Christ which should produce a unity of relationship. In verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, kind of follow this. Verse 1 is about our unity with Christ vertically. Then verse 2 is horizontal unity with one another. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love for you, if any fellowship with the Spirit, that's vertical, the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, horizontal, make my joy complete by being like-minded. There's that same term, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. It goes on to describe humility like Christ that we studied on an earlier uh, part of this uh, series. Uh, this passage doesn't actually use the term same mind with one another. It doesn't have a one another term, but it has the same mind term that is exactly the same context of the local church relationships. And so you'll have a term like like-minded, one mind, uh, something like that. But he is talking about the relationship that we would have with each other. We would get along. In fact, that's on his mind, as you we can tell, as you go to chapter 4 in Philippians. Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, we'll find this same-mindedness again. I plead, verse 2, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. The term agree with each other is like-mindedness, have the same mind toward each other. And we see that this is about their struggle to get along. (laughs) I plead, get along. Yes, and I ask you, local yoke fellow, which is some friend there in Philippi unnamed, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with, and he names and mentions other believers, who have been part of the ministry team. Two women's names we we know from the, the gender of the Greek term. Two women who were like-minded, essentially, about Christ. They both loved Christ. They both were participants in ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But somehow that did not translate into a relational like-mindedness. Something had happened that disturbed their relational unity, though they had unity in Christ, and even in their purposes, there was this disconnect when it came to the relationship with one another. What happened? What scrambled that unity? don't know. Did they, as teenagers, want the same boy, and one of them ended up with the guy? Did their sons both 
tried to get the same apprenticeship, and one of them won out. Did their daughters not get along, and the moms took sides? When they worked together in the ministry of the gospel, was one of them doing more work than the other, but the other was getting more credit than the other? This does happen. This is real life. We don't know that story, but we know that these two women, though they loved Christ, were not getting along. So at some point, Yodia and Syntyche are together in heaven. Alongside, you know, Moses, David, Mary, Paul. And I'm just imagining maybe a conversation between these two ladies in heaven. They say, you know, these other folks were all in the Bible with such a positive role model. And our names made it too. (laughs) What were we thinking? We had the same mind about Christ. And and I trust with Paul's (laughs) calling them out in this letter that they did resolve it. But at least there was this season where they did not deal with the relation. Was it pride, stubbornness, hurt, fear? You know, the most common reason people leave churches is not doctrinal, not philosophical, but relational. So, so how can we address those things? That's where, as you go back to chapter 2, again, it's like, do I have the same love? Yeah. And, and as we draw on the unity we have in Christ, we need to connect the dots and say, that's why I, I'm going to work with this person Letting love cover a multitude of sins, and as we talked about previously, and when it's of such a nature that I need to talk with them about it, I'll talk with them about it. But regardless, I will live a life of grace and forgiveness towards them. I think this is a good point to put in a verbal parenthesis the next five, six minutes, because unity is a classic topic in churches of any stripe. Everybody talks about unity. And sometimes the issues of unity get a bit uh, confused. And so I'd like, with this understanding of basic unity is about unity around the person and nature of Jesus Christ. Maybe we can address a few other issues. They're in a little box in your outline if you're looking at that. Should all churches be unified? And work together. It, it, it sounds good. If they're a church, why can't we all work together? Let's talk about these issues. The first one is that ecumenism is not unity. Maybe you've heard the term or not, ecumenism or the ecumenical movement. Just don't confuse ecumenical with evangelical. They kind of sound the same. They're totally different topics. Evangelical, or that's why we do evangelism, is about sharing the gospel. That's what that word is. Evangelism is gospel, which is good news about Jesus Christ. I gladly claim the term evangelical. However, as a church, we would not really embrace the term ecumenical. Ecumenism, or the ecumenical movement, is really a a false unity, it seems. Because it ignores some crucial differences about absolute truth many times. 
It reduces truth, if you will, down to the lowest common denominator, which really becomes meaningless. Well, you know, if we all believe there's a God, and, wow, if we even all even use the cross as a symbol, certainly we are all alike. Well, not if we disagree about the absolute foundational issues of the authority of Scripture, the person and work of Jesus Christ, well then, actually, it's not a unity because those core absolute issues are not joined. And so, if others are teaching that there are many ways to heaven as long as you're sincere, or, or that, that salvation is by, by good works, not, not, by, not by Christ and faith in him alone, you can see where those core unity issues don't exist. Doesn't mean we sh- we cannot be gracious towards those who believe different. We are we are we are instruments of grace. Yet these are distinctions that might uh, keep us from just linking arms and saying, "Hey, we're all the same. Let's all do everything together." Second issue is is being a part of a denomination, a church denomination, a good thing or a bad thing. A denomination of churches is a group of churches that have often the same origin historically, uh, would assume to have the same doctrine, and who are in some ways organized or structured, maybe across America or around the world, in some joint way doing things together. Uh, I meant, we mentioned earlier in the announcements that our, our project as, uh, as, uh, for, for our youth this summer is to go to St. Louis and working with Bayless Baptist Church. They are part of the Southern Baptist denomination, a large, large worldwide denomination. Um, uh, Evan, our, our son-in-law, is, is pastoring there, and uh, he really appreciates uh, a lot of the support as he's uh, in a replanting uh, position that, that they provide. That's, that's, a, that's a healthy thing, and we can work with them in this, even though we are we would describe ourselves as non-denominational. And so we don't have that same uh, structure in the same way and have probably a little bit more autonomy or uh, independence in how we do things, though we are actually part of a less structured organization called the IFCA International. But a a denomination is not good or bad. A denomination is as good as its uh, doctrine and its purposes around Jesus Christ. I feel personally I could pastor in a number of different denominations with quite freedom, uh, depending on what they believe and, and what, what uh, autonomy perhaps we would have. One more unity issue. We can hold different convictions graciously. This is really building on our last study a few weeks ago, where we talked about accepting one another, showing grace to one another with different convictions. But we do have to understand different issues of unity or disunity. So far, as we've learned in Philippians and in Romans, our unity is about Christ. We've used these terms before in our, in our church family. I, like, I, like to, I think they're helpful. Absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Absolutes are are basic doctrines, clear commands of Scripture. Absolutes are things that are true in any culture, any time. Whether it's the doctrine of Christ, whether it's the absolute of, of do not commit adultery, 
These are always true. Okay? Convictions, on the other hand, are choices, decisions that we make as Christians based on some biblical principle, and those may differ one to the other. Convictions are very important. We need to make decisions about so many things. We'll decide whether or not this or that based on some biblical principles. We mentioned a few weeks ago things like, uh, can a Christian drink alcohol in moderation or, or, or should abstain? How do you school your children? What entertainment choices, fashion, uh, tattoos, uh, political issues, whatever they might be, you will make those hopefully based on convictions and we need convictions to guard our heart in so many things. And if, you're, if you have children living at home, you need to, to guide them in their convictions. You will have family convictions until they develop their own, hopefully, as believers in Christ. So those three issues, ecumenism is not unity, uh, denominationalism is not good or bad, and we can hold different convictions graciously. Though you apply an, a principle a biblical principle differently, but you do so in sincerity. Convictions. Oh, by the way, you know what preferences are? Preferences. It's what you like. It's what I like, what you like, and we like different things. But that's a, a lower level uh, yet, you could say. Parenthesis ended. Let's go to Romans again. 12, verse 16. We've seen there is unity about Christ. There is unity of relationship. Romans 12, I believe, is still talking about unity of relationship, but the context of this statement is such that it, I think it drives us into an even more personal uh, look at the unity Christ had in mind. And so let me read, this is kind of a list from verses 9 and following of, of, of Christian characteristics, but I don't think they're just thrown together. I think there is some, some uh, sense in which their order is inspired. So let's start with verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony or have the same mind with one another. Same expression we found in 15, verse 5. The one another with this like-mindedness. Then do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. There is unity around Christ. There is unity of relationship. But I think we can see here, there is a unity of heart. There is, we could use the term, spiritual intimacy. That I think Christ has in mind that we would have with, with people in the body of Christ. These past several weeks, as, uh, as I've lost my mom and dad, I have sensed people who are mourning with me. That is so meaningful. To, to mourn with or rejoice with somebody means that you enter into their emotional state, right? They, you celebrate something with them. You grieve something. You, you understand. You can put yourself in their shoes. This, this like-mindedness is a, an incredible closeness. That's what makes this fellowship so very rich. Is when you will risk, invest in relationships that draw you close enough that there is someone to share joys and trials with you. The phrase that follows this 
is important. Be willing to associate with people of low position. You have to disregard, to have this close intimacy, you have to disregard status. If you have an attitude that, that, you know, I don't really associate closely because I'm a little bit too good, too smart, too cool, too wealthy, too young and beautiful to associate with them closely. Because that's how this world sees things. The world sees things in terms of skills and money, position, appearance. And those things are not significant to this closeness. And so as you fellowship here before and after services or in a Bible study or an adult Bible fellowship, I trust that those things just disappear, that the social, the financial, and, and so many other views, just they become truly, as they are, lesser things because of our unity in Christ and our ability to get along because of that unity in Christ and that ability to draw close in heart and soul. And I think that is when God smiles because with one heart and voice, we glorify our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that has drawn us together. And so that is, in so many ways, the core issue of living together in one another relationships. Now, it would be great if we could always look at one another's in a positive way. Be like this, be like this, be like this. But just like every parent knows, <laughs> there are times when you address the one another you desire by having to talk about the one another's that you cannot tolerate. And so we're going to look at four one another's in the New Testament that are stated as warnings. They are negative commands because we will only enjoy unity with one another when we address the sins that destroy unity. Here are the passages. Call them unity killers. And let's read through three passages that have four unity killers. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's pretty serious. Whatever grumbling against one another is. James 4.11, do not speak against or slander one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So not only are we accountable to the judge... But we become guilty of claiming to be the judge when we put others down. Because I know what's right and you're wrong. And then there's Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, because that leads to provoking one another and envying one another. As we study these, I'd like to, I decided to just copy and paste a very simple uh, Greek dictionary definition of each of these key terms. The first one, grumble. What does that mean? It means to complain or groan. To complain, conceived of as vocally, audibly, indicating pain, discomfort, or displeasure in an inarticulate manner. Now, grumbling is noises you make <laughs> that communicate distaste, displeasure. I hear that Joe is coming to your adult Bible fellowship now. Yeah, is your response. Ooh, what did you just say? It was audible. 
It was inarticulate. But you just communicated, I don't like Joe. I wish Joe wasn't in our class. And now you have forced this other person to decide if they will join you in your displeasure, if you'll be influenced by them. They may realize, you know, Joe's personality is kind of blunt. It grates on me. He tries to be too funny. All because maybe this guy has some bad history and has not forgiven Joe. James says, stop it. What's the origin of that sin? Did that sin start when you went, ugh, about Job? No, it started when you wouldn't forgive him. It started when uh, you were, you were uh, thinking you were better than him, looking down on him. It was a failure of grace in your thinking. Remember? That you'd be like-minded about Christ, like-minded about relationships, like-minded that you're willing to draw close to people who are different. Don't grumble against one another. Second one is don't slander or speak against. To slander means to charge falsely or with malicious intent. Attack the good name and reputation of someone. So while grumbling is uh, inarticulate, these are actual words that we say that put somebody else down. We, we wanted Martha to look bad. That's why we said what we said about her to someone else. It may be true. It may be false. Or, as is usually the case, it's a mixture of true and false. But we really did want to make that other person look less. Because we know something about them. We might even cast it as a prayer request, which is a perfect way of making us look better than them because we are the prayer and they are the prayee. And so we slander. Could be they did hurt us. Could be they maybe they slandered us and we're just kind of evening the score. We don't know. You know, one of the names of Satan is that he is the accuser of the brethren. That's pretty serious, right? You know what we do when we slander? We accuse the brethren. We join forces with the opponent of God. The unity that Christ created by connecting us in the body of Christ is way too precious to sacrifice on the altar of our petty attacks. Third one another, and fourth, is found in Galatians. Let us not become conceited. There's the, a course sin, thinking we're better. Provoking one another, first of all, means to call out, to summon someone someone to a contest or struggle. It's picking an argument with believers, with one another. It's clearly a one another thing. Uh, Often, maybe even mostly about things that are are, uh, not absolute truth. Um, The core issue is the pride we We are right, and we would like to flaunt our superior knowledge or opinion. We're driven uh, more by pride than by care. Now, that's a tough one, because there's often a fuzzy line in our own mind. Conversation with your spouse or or someone in church or someone at work, is it because you care or is it because of pride? You see how fuzzy that gets? Um, 
And so the Holy Spirit has to help us discern that because motive is everything. But are we trying to just prove that we have a better view? Jab it. Jab the bear a little bit. When we meet as a church board, uh, we don't always agree as we start an issue. In fact, the way it got on the agenda probably is because it's a decision we have to make that we didn't automatically know what to do about. And so we can start out with disagreement and perspectives, and then as we seek to make a decision or policy or, or, or guide you know, kind of a direction or philosophy, we have to take those disagreeing factors and put them together. And I just want to assure you that you have a, a, a team of guys who make every effort to disagree graciously and respectfully, and here's the reason why. We have the same mind about Christ and about the value of our relationships, and we want that closeness. And so then we come to a decision in which, as we walk out of the room, we can agree to support that decision. It's what you do as parents, ideally, too, right? Not that we always do it perfectly, either. It's just that we have the same mind, and that is our desire. What ruins that is, is pride when we... Our goal is to, to reveal our superior viewer, put down the other guy, instead of, with one heart and soul, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, envying one another is to begrudge, to be spiteful or resentful at the success or possessions of another. Envy will destroy unity. You won't draw close to somebody you envy. You, you pull into the parking lot right next to someone who has just a car you've been thinking you'd like to buy, but you can't. You go to a fellowship dinner at someone's house. How did they get our dream house, anyhow? How did that happen? And the meal tastes flat, and we just kind of have this weird feeling, you know, she has everything I wish I could have. Work in a ministry together, and, and uh, side by side, and you see this person that people speak of admiringly and going, man, I just wish I had that, that ability or opportunity, or it could be, Resentment of someone else's marriage or children or personality or skills. Just, it's endless opportunity to envy. It'll destroy unity because we can't really learn from that person. We won't draw close to that person. We won't affirm that person. We may even be tempted to groan, grumble, slander. Just because we know something that while we envy this person, there's a crack in their armor, armor. There's, 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 a, there's some dirt someplace. Bring them down. Sin is ugly, sin is real. These are not sins that, you'll never be, you'll never be charged with a crime. But spiritually, you can damage the unity of the body of Christ that he paid for with that priceless gift. God really has blessed Open Door in so many ways, and while we're normal and there's all kinds of ways in which people have struggled at times with one another, God has given us some precious unity. The, the passage I'd like to leave with us uh, comes from Ephesians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We addressed that passage in an earlier week. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It takes work. There is one body and one Spirit. The body of Christ, the Holy Spirit. 
Just as you were called to one hope when you were called our salvation together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, you indeed are one. Through Christ, you have formed one body. We in this local church represent that one body. You have in mind that we would enrich, encourage, and build one another up. And so we will need these principles of unity. You desire that we would be light in a divided, angry, conflicted world. And so you will need to continue to help us to preserve our unity. Pray for each of us as we think of uh, whether it's a a marriage issue or a, a personal relationship. Whatever it is that might be holding us back, that we would respond to your spirit and create, preserve the unity you intended. Thank you for the unity we have. It's all because of the sacrifice of your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.